ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Drop at DFT. We are in the four-year consideration series with the editors of Atlanta. I have them here with me, Isaac Hagee and Kyle Ryder, both ACE. Thank you for joining me, and I apologize for how weird and obnoxiously fanned out I am about to get. But I swear everyone here at DFT is tired of hearing me talk about how these episodes will one day play in a museum set up in a quarter with headphones being deconstructed like some sort of Warhol and Basquiat imagery. And I'm obsessed. It is literally my favorite TV of the past decade, if not more. And I have to start at the very beginning, which is episode 101, because Every, oh, I went back and watched it and he's referencing hands in that episode. And then you got him in the slap in 301 and then tarar. It is too much for me. Just put me out of my misery. Tell me anything that you can. Even if you tell me, I can't tell you anything. This is a whole Warshak situation. I'm just going to accept it. <laughs> yeah, well, season four is all about hands. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> I always wonder how much of that's intentional. I, I mean, obviously, yeah. there's like they seed stuff, and I think they like writing callbacks and things like that. But you know, we're pretty online with the show, and there's some really wild like I, people are really trying to decipher the show. And I don't, I've never really talked to Donald about how much of that is intentional, so I don't, yeah. I couldn't say. I don't, I don't think as much as intentional as people want to think. I don't, I don't think the show is a puzzle that's trying to solve, be solved. <laughs> Right. Well, that's how people um, watch stuff now. So yeah, totally. what are you going to do? Yeah. To be fair, I, I do get that. But in the end of it all, you guys really are people who are putting together a puzzle. So especially with season three, I'm really, really interested in, you know, obviously the differentiation between the bottle episodes shot in Atlanta and then everything that was shot in Europe. I mean, it's hard not to start with compliments because everything felt like the same season. And even, you know, season two opened with not the core characters. And mm -hmm. so season three opening with not the core characters was really, really interesting to me. Also because there was overlap, like season one opened with a gunshot in the parking lot with that amazing, you know, like drone mm -hmm. footage, same thing. Season two, you start with a shooting in a parking lot. And it was just, anyway, again, hence the puzzle pieces. But mm -hmm. for season three specifically, you guys really made the whole thing connect. And so did you, first question first, did you have to um, deliver more than one at a time? Or because it was FX, did you have kind of a set schedule or what was coming in and when? Yeah, well, we we had a set schedule. Um, the way that it worked out in production is because they had the cast for a very small window, they shot the six cast episodes in Europe. Then they came back to Atlanta and shot all 10 of season four. And then they then the cast was able to go and then they shot those four anthology bottle episodes last. But they were some of the first ones we had to deliver. So, for instance, Three Slaps, 301, was one of the last things they shot, but one of the first things to air. So it was only difficult in that, you know, the 
the schedule is a, a little bit of a crunch. And then uh, with with regards to keeping it cohesive, the production order was a little bit different. We did we swapped some we we swapped some orders of uh, in which they aired to sort of try and keep things a little more cohesive. So that was the only other thing. But as far as delivering, we do one at a time. And we were a little bit up against, we were up against air more this season than we have been mm-hmm. in the past. Yeah. One, one thing we always talked about is we wanted the bottle episodes to kind of talk to the cast episodes. And that's part of the reason why we switched around the order a bit. And it was just, um, I think a lot of it came down to theme. I think a lot of the times we were focusing on season three. We always talk about season three as like a concept album. Uh, so whereas other seasons are a little bit more linear, I think season three, we're kind of like, you know, what, what, what if we made a show about ideas and themes and kind of used the themes to weave together the season rather than the characters actions. Right. So you just stole one of my questions. Thank you. Uh, mostly because this felt the most like an album of any season of television I've ever watched. It was it felt incredibly intentional, you know, obviously with an album, you're the hope and the intention is for someone to listen to songs sequentially. Of course, there's going to be a favorite, but the goal is to play them together. So can you kind of tell me about like, did did the episode order change as you guys were editing or was it in, and based on the edit kind of talking through how how they would want all of those released? Yeah, I mean, I can give you an example. Uh, the the big uh, big payback, the reparations episode was uh, originally scheduled to air later. And we felt that it was a, a really strong episode and also that it sort of spoke thematically um, to both three and five. So we decided to air it fourth. We were also, we're a little bit tied to, you know, we didn't want to, we wanted to cast episodes to sort of live next to each other. So it mm-hmm. sort of would go like, you know, two, one, two, one, do you guys know which episodes you submitted for? We submitted, so the bottle episodes we edited together. Um, and so we decided to submit one of those. So we submitted three slaps, which is the first episode. Oh, yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in, in seasons past, we've always just had solo credit. And even though we're very collaborative, we really just edit the episodes ourselves. But yeah, the bottle episodes in season three and uh, a handful of episodes in season four, yeah. we were sharing credit and working together. And forgive me, I keep trying to find the actor's name or what his name was, but the the gentleman who is in the reparations episode who opens the season on the boat. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've, we've been calling him White. White or Earn. His, his name's Earn. Right? His name's Earn. Yeah. yeah. White Earn. Yes! Yeah. yeah okay. His name's Aaron Marks, as we learned. Uh-huh. Yes. How could I forget that? So that was one of my big questions for the production designer. The, like, I've gotten to talk to both DPs, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, that's what's fascinating to me, that you guys were still playing with the episodes in any idea that Terrar would have not been last. Like, I understand that the shot of the photo was probably always meant to be there. And maybe that's how it was always meant to end, but, Oh yes. Tell me whatever you were going to tell me. I'll finish later. No, I mean, the photo, the photo wasn't always supposed to be there. So one of the things that we did in order to kind of retroactively give this season a bit of a through line, once we decided that Terrell was going to be last, 
we kind of brainstormed and reshot some scenes in, in a few of the earlier episodes, kind of strengthening, like Van starting to act weird, kind of pulling away from the group. Uh, there's a scene where Van and Ern are in a hotel room at the end of White Fashion. Um, and she's just got accused of stealing a wig and like she's being very coy. They spend the night together and then the next morning she disappeared. Uh, that was all a reshoot that we came up with after the season had been shot to kind of give the season a little more structure, a little more art leading to Terrera as the last episode. Um, yeah, that hotel is actually yeah. in Atlanta. And then around that time, I think it was Donald just pitched the ending of like, well, why don't we bring back White again one more time? So right, that, yeah. Initially, and initially that little that little epilogue was actually attached to a different episode. That well, just, it was Rich Wigger. Yeah, it was, it was attached to one of the vile episodes, which didn't really make a lot of sense once we saw it. Because that was initially supposed to be the last episode. So we just switched it. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a lot of stuff. Like we yeah, we do this quite a bit actually. When we when we see stuff, they trust us enough to go back to them and say, hey, this feels a little thin. Mm -hmm. Or um we that happened on on season two. There was an episode that we thought once we assembled it, we thought, you know, this is pretty thin. And so they they watched it and Donald wrote some scenes and they were able to fit them into the schedule. And so that it happens. Okay, so I hate this question, but it's rare that it applies because okay. you guys really genuinely sound like an extension of the writer's room. And for as many of these interviews as I have done, and as much as I try and bring forward how much really can and does and will change in the edit once you have actually gotten a chance to start piecing things together... Tell me about your process. I hate that question so much, but because yeah, it sounds, uh, you know, especially four seasons later, like you guys are very collaborative as a whole. Much, though, yeah. Hero, Donald, production designer, everybody. I, I would by no means say we're an extension of the writer's room. <laughs> uh, that's taking way too much credit. But I do think like everyone on this show, the show is a very well-oiled family at this point. Like, I think there's a lot of trust in kind of all the main um, creatives every bit along the process. So as we're as we're starting to assemble stuff, we're assembling while they're shooting. And so there's a lot of dialogue going on back and forth between us and them on set. Like, in some ways, it kind of feels like we're mission control reporting back whenever, you know, most of the time everything's smooth and on course. But whenever there's a problem, you know, we'll raise our hand about it. Yeah, I think Hero, Hero really trusts us to, you know, he'll say, is this working? Do we need this? And I, I think we're we're usually pretty candid about whether it is or isn't. So, you know, and that's just sort of the trust that we've built up over these four seasons. Hero talks a lot about kind of the, the show being a direct result of just the alchemy of who makes it because there's there hasn't been any turnover on the show like with regards to department heads. And I don't even think a lot of the crew, I think it's no, kind really of the same people have made the whole thing. And, and that's sort of what makes the show what it is. It's, and, and, you know, I think Hero and Donald are very aware of that. And we feel very included in decision-making and stuff like that. I mean, again, I'm just going to get very ethereal or however you will, but you have a canvas, you have the paint, you have the brushes, you have the primer, you have the frame. And, I think it was Da Vinci who said the most beautiful part of any piece of artwork is the frame because there is a stopping point. There is a limitation. There is an understanding of it. You know, you have to deliver and share at some point. 
Um, with this, you know, you guys really, the whole team bringing this together, but I, I can't stop thinking about how remarkable some of the cinematography is and how re remarkable of a cast this is, who is incredibly gifted at comedy and literally my favorite Donald Glover performance is in The Martian, <laughs> which is comedy and drama. <laughs> so you're dealing with a very collaborative team that is very good. How much coverage are you guys getting to play with? Because these shots are beautiful. I have to imagine their performances are incredible. Where do you even start? Obviously the script, but after that, yeah. where do you guys start? Yeah. Well, fortunately for us, they don't have a lot of time to shoot these. So, you know, and, and I think Hero and Christian are, are very confident in, in their coverage and their mm -hmm. setups and stuff like that. So, you know, I don't want to I don't want to suggest that it's easy because we work very hard, but they they don't they don't do a ton of takes. They don't do a ton of setups. Just yeah. I think it's because because of one, the confidence in what they're doing and two, because of how limited the time is. Yeah, totally. But I, I mean, I will say, whereas I think the footage is very controlled. Like we're always like very rarely do we cut together a scene and say, oh, this doesn't work footage wise. Like it's always very well planned ahead and well thought out. There is looseness in the acting. Like I think there's like a freedom on set to allow um, a lot of the actors to kind of spread their wings and like, uh, you know, improv and kind of play around, especially Keith. Keith and like, um, I mean, Brian's improv is amazing. You know, like ha half of that stuff is just those guys having fun with each other. Hell no, no more European strip clubs, all right, man. I heard that. Uh, it's a hundred pounds to get in, and uh, we don't have any titties. <laughs> Sprinkle me, my lord. Sprinkle me. Oh, please, make it rain. Make it rain. Me. Look at me trying make to clap it rain my, in my mouth. Together, but I can't find it, sir. Um, I think I think a lot of it too is we should give a lot of credit to Christian Springer, the DP. I think he's more more than a lot of DPs whose footage I've edited. He is very aware of what will work in the yeah. edit and he's very aware of of what will connect and what will not and that really bails us out a lot i okay. I've, I've cut things that he shot that that were not atlanta and it's uh, it's any i'll cut anything he shoots yeah. because he i know it'll cut together how was that with two separate dps this year christian and steven spoke very highly of one another and how collaborative but that's still so exciting that you know you got to work with like a little bit different of styles yeah. and uh i heard the dit was able to go with him over to europe and so there was even right. that familiarity yeah. but and also it's just in europe so like was there i didn't feel any kind of difference honestly between the two other than the background but were you guys ever conscious of that or intentional in any of that? I mean, I think Stephen did a fantastic job. There, there were little things I think we we felt with it, but I think there was also a conscious decision to make those Europe episodes feel a little bit different than the show, a little bit wider lensing, um, just slightly different languages to give it a little more surreal touch maybe um, than some of the bottle episodes or than season four. So I think we... It's funny. It's like the things that we noticed were just very slight language of shooting differences, kind of framings. And um, I think most of them were intentional, to be honest. Yeah. And I think we we knew from the start, too, that like, you know, he did. I thought he did a really wonderful job of sort of stepping into a look that's yeah. very, you know, set already. But we, we were always aware, like Isaac said, like because he's shooting the six in Europe and they they felt like a little bit of a different formula to the show anyway, that it was OK that if it 
came out different or you know and but i gotta say when i started seeing stuff i was sort of surprised i said oh this yeah. i don't know one's gonna notice this yeah you know so i thought he did a, a really wonderful job yeah and i know hero and christian like it was very much a dialogue where christian and steven collaborated um just early on about setting the looks and the tone and like i, I think steven was very conscious of making the show feel like the previous two seasons and like stepping into the role yeah had. yeah and i think he did a fantastic yeah, yeah. job yeah. Tell me a little bit about sound design on this and how you guys worked through the episodes. Cause I did get to talk to Diego and oh, oh, um, you did. Yeah, they're, I had to. Yeah. They're the number best. one. They're amazing. Also on the three slaps. How dare you? There, I don't know why there was that floorboard creak at the end. How dare you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's the same floorboard. That floorboard creak is yeah. in the episode a couple times, actually. See, if you want to go back, if you want to get into the the, to the weeds, yeah, yeah, you want to get in the weeds with it. I can give me same, all the of the Easter eggs. Uh, the, well, the floor, the floorboard at, at um, when uh, the kid's sitting at the table at the end is the same floorboard that creaks in his dream when his grandpa dog comes up behind him. That's why I was waiting to see the grandpa dog. Yeah, you guys are so wicked. Trevor and Diego are they're really amazing. We work really, really hard on sound in the offline because it's it's just something that we I think both of both Isaac and I sort of came up making our own stuff and Mm -hmm. doing DIY stuff where we have to do our own sound. So it's really important to us. We don't kick that over to AEs much and we don't we really focus on that and then Trevor and Diego are do a, such an amazing job of making it sound like like professional. Yeah. They're very good at sort of seeing our ideas and and beating them. Yeah, and, we yeah. we definitely do like broad kind of proof of concept ideas of uh, the sound as we're going because I, I mean sound is such a big part of like our toolkit for the show. Yeah, just because so much of the show lives in like kind of these tonally ambiguous kind of spaces where the mood and the setting and the sound all kind of comes together to tell the story just as much as the words. So we're, yeah, we're very, very involved in sound. And then Trevor and Diego just make it 10 times better. Yeah. Hero is very, when we're working in the offline, Hero is very tuned into the sound and, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure, uh, making sure the vibe of the scene is coming across just even, even things as simple as like traffic noise and, and cicadas and stuff like that. Right. It's like very, very important in the offline. A lot of like, we work a lot with music and like how music is fitting into a space, like not just the song, but like making sure the music like has a quality where it like either feels organic to the space or maybe it doesn't quite feel organic and that creates a heightened mood that says something about where the characters are at. Um, yeah, we love making yeah. music because I, I think in the real world, music usually sounds pretty bad. People are either listening to it on their phone or it's coming through speakers at the roof of a store. And so I think we're, we're hypersensitive to it feeling real, just like with everything on the show that sound, you know, oh, that song should sound worse. Yeah. That car should be louder. That, you know, yeah. that's what stuff sounds like. Miss you. Come on. How good is this song? We're gonna listen to it on repeat all day. And I think we, we like seeing with the idea of sound as a storytelling tool right. too. Like, I mean, there's a lot of scenes if you notice, um, like I think, 
the end of season two when they're at the airport and Ern has the gun and like all the background sound kind of drops out for a minute. Um, and you really like focus in, you kind of lean in and you're like, oh, what's going to happen? Like it's that kind of device where we use sound to kind of tell the story. Yeah, well, I think a lot of that too comes from the fact that with the exception of a few episodes, we don't use score. Yeah. So for us, for us, this sort of, this sort of thing is, uh, it's, it, we use it like music, mm-hmm. you know, we'll use the car by or a car alarm yeah. or a door slam or something. We sort of use that to punctuate moments and things like that. That's, it's, it's very, very, it's not accidental at all. You know, it's very, it's a very pointed use of sound. Yeah. The leveraging of the absence of sound is incredibly intentional because mm-hmm. even, um, in new jazz, you know, it's like a drug trip and there's a lot of moving pieces that you can have a lot of guesses, but still crept up on me at least. And in that episode, the number one sound that freaking killed me was when Al asked who owns my masters. Mm. And we just had to sit in that moment, like, Oh God, Ern, please say it's you. Oh God. (laughs) That was just, that was so wonderful. And that one little moment was so, it was on Donald, it was on uh, Al, it was on sound, it was on you guys, like finding that moment. It was so incredible. But yeah, we also don't have to make things sound like what they are, which I found really fascinating. Like that's a whole nother layer of artistic collaboration that like, even when the two ladies take that poor little dog out into the woods, we would probably hear a lot of traffic. We would hear just noise in the woods, things like that. And for what you guys did, like I felt every moment of what that kid was trying to process. Yeah, no, yeah, we use it, you know, we use it sound as a very subjective thing and we play into that. It's very impressionistic too, the way we use it. And so I'm glad you, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great that you notice because we, you work really hard on it. And I wonder yeah. how much people really notice that stuff. So it's it's yeah. great that you're calling it out. I am your audience. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. Tell me about any VFX that happens on this show, because so much seems very practical. And also, again, how dare you with that baby? My heart dropped out my butt. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have great. We we actually have a, a guy who works in house with us. His name's Eric Benmoller. He works in our post, and and Ashley Singstaken. Um, they pretty they do almost yeah. everything. Yeah. Just the two of them. We don't farm it out. They're just really incredible. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, there's a few bigger things. What was the big thing in the what did we like slides? the boat thing in three slops? I would imagine. No, or did you? No, have we did that in house. Yeah, that was no, we did that in house. The big one. No, I mean, but like, how did you cut with that, or they did that? Um, like, how did how was that shot? Yeah, well, it's helpful to have them down the hall because so they just shot it with the with with white turning around practically, mm-hmm. and Hero sort of had an idea of what he wanted, and then we just. Uh, gave it to Eric and Ashley and uh, there were several there were several different yeah, incarnations of that actually somewhere we were going a, another direction we were going another direction and they just kept kind of hammering it out until Hero was you know you get one that feels right and um, yeah but it was shot that's that's all post it yeah. was shot with him turning around with no right he didn't have any sort of 
No, I mean there's a lighting. Uh, oh right, there's a lighting. Like a there's no lighting. There's, yeah, 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 there's no you know there's no makeup or anything on him. That's all done. Yeah, post. I was gonna say most of the VFX are pretty simplistic on this show. Like I think more than anything, it's like phone comps a lot of the time. Phone comps, which we is something that's great to have them in the office for because we use that to tell the story a lot of times whatever's going on the, on the phone so yeah we can kind of rough it in or we can change stuff yeah if we need to yeah it's it's not i don't want to say it's easy because i'm not the one doing it no, it's easy I, think, for me, I actually but, think it's very hard but but the stuff yeah the stuff that they do is you know i, I remember the 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 overhead shot of the at the end of um big payback when he shoots himself and falls mm-hmm. into the pool that the blood was that was a really complicated one yeah. Um, but yeah, mostly they're just yeah, they're, split screen. Sometimes we do a lot of split screens. We'll do split yeah. screens just for the edit, and then they'll kind of comp them together. Um, there's a lot of cleanup, a lot of like removing yeah, like signs and stuff in the background. Yeah, it's really not. It's again, it's not. It's not super intensive. They try to do stuff yeah. as practical as possible. There's a really huge. There's a big one in season four yeah. that went to yeah. like a real company. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you do this to me? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I'll go well, on record. I, I've said this in the past. I'll say it on record. I think season four is the best season of the show. Yeah. Oh my god, uh, season three is already like here. Uh, I, I mean, well, me yeah. they're very different. They're very different. Four is very different than three. I think if people are disappointed by three, if people understandably like maybe we change the formula a little bit. They're going to be very satisfied by season four. Honestly, you made us wait almost four years between two and three. I know yeah. it wasn't you. Yeah, it was okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I told Donald the other way. So worth it, though. So worth it, at least in this camp. So I want to go into Van's story. So especially because you're saying that some things did move around, uh, you know, episode wise. Look, take the credit or not, but that feels like that rested on you guys because that is a through story. That is a through line. Mm-hmm. And in re-watching seasons one and two, not just so I could talk your ear off, but also because I love it. But like this is this is someone who has sat down almost every time and expressed how either she doesn't know who she is, she's not doing what she wants, she's not clear on what she wants for all of that to build into Tarar was Mm. huge and remarkable. And she could finally say it and express it clearly. And we took her through all these different incantations of herself. And it was just how, I mean, was that the intent? Like this is her through line and this is the kind of the ultimate for what's going to, to, you know, wake her up. But how did you guys, structure and protect for that because i felt like she was very protected this whole season that's that was a really good question um i I think as we were sort of assembling it and sort of seeing everything together we realized that this was kind of low-key van season like she Mm -hmm. was the one that had the strongest arc Mm -hmm. and the way it was written you know that she she shows up in europe and then she's sort of acting weird and then sort of disappears all that was important, but I think we realized that we were sort of losing her too much. Yeah. We felt like we needed a little connective tissue. And so that's why in white fashion, they wrote those hotel scenes, you know, where she steals the wig and then she's spending the, the time with Ern in the room and then disappearing again. That was added specifically because we felt there was maybe a little piece of the arc missing. And then um, for this, that's the same reason we moved Tarar to the end of the season 
is because it felt like the end of a, the end of her arc. You know, and I think there was some talk of maybe airing that one earlier, but then. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, it was also the scene. I mean, I really think that scene where she's sitting with Candace outside the Eiffel Tower, kind of like pouring her heart out, her heart out and confessing this. Like you said, it feels like a multi-season kind of moment for Van. It feels like it's a lot has been leading up to that. And yeah, I think it, for us, that, that was just kind of the linchpin for her character this season. And that's why it deserved to go last. Yeah um plus Zazie is just she's like really remarkable yeah, and I think amazing. I think she's amazing and in that scene especially I think she's just doing like really wonderful totally. subtle stuff and yeah so yeah. and it ends on a nice note where she's like let's go home it's time to go home to Atlanta yeah we felt that was important too we didn't really have the whole like all right this trip is over sort of vibe if we had put something else last maybe yeah well and prior to that her breakdown in the kitchen like how many different ways were you guys working that uh steven shared that like zazie just nailed it yeah. zazie absolutely nailed it but everything from the reveal of the hands at first like it was a total other baby moment yeah but then you're following her around and you're watching all of this happen how did you guys approach building that because especially even if she nailed it like what other coverage was there to work with? Because you guys don't have a tremendous amount of cuts. Like a show like Severance has like so many cuts and they're so yeah. well done. But this, it is very clear how gifted these actors are and how gifted uh, the cinematographers are. So yeah, in, yeah. I, I think our, our general philosophy is to, you know, in the macro to make it as succinct as possible, but in the micro to do as little cutting as, mm -hmm. as we can. And for, for the reasons that you mentioned, I mean, the cast is so good, the, the footage is so good. And I, I don't think there was, I don't think there was a ton of that stuff of Zazie in the kitchen, quite frankly. I think, um, I think she really, she, she, you know, I, I think for her, it was difficult and it was sort of exhausting. So I think they intentionally did not do it a lot. And, um, and so, yeah, it was really, it was really just based around one take. I mean, they did more than one, but I think what's in there is really based around one take. And then it's just being able to connect, you know, Candace to seeing her and doing a lot of heavy lifting. And, and yeah, so, you know, that, that scene needs to feel like a catharsis. I think there's so much leading up to it where you, you know, the, the Candace was sort of the audience surrogate, not knowing what's going on, why she's acting like this. And so it was important to sort of land the plane, I think with Zazie and she's just so great in that scene that it was, you know, again, it's, I don't want to say it's, it's easy, but it's, it's, it's not hard once you kind of see it to, to see what it should be doing. And thankfully the stuff we get is so good that you're able to do it. Yeah. We're not, we're not fixing problems. You know? It's nice. On this show, we can normally follow the lead of the footage a lot of times, I would say. Um, just in that the intent is very obvious. Right. Like it's a show that's done with a bunch of intention. Right. Like we're not necessarily finding anything in the edit. I think we're just polishing and maybe like removing and just making it better. But it's all it's all in their heads when they're shooting yeah. and acting it. I mean, there's a we're it's, we're very fortunate yeah. as editors to be on something that has real vision. Totally. You know, because it's just it, because then we spend our time just making stuff as good as it can be instead of trying to figure out what it is or fixing something that didn't get shot or performed well. It's, it's really like we, we really it's feel like, yeah. yeah, when the ball comes to us, it's kind of like, I, I feel that the pressure is to not yeah. blow it because exactly. what we get is so good. 
Well, kind of going back to the idea of, you know, kind of the concept album, a lot of these episodes felt influenced of like obvious things like with Terrar, there was the Amelie moments. Um, Mm -hmm. There even felt like Quentin Tarantino moments like Kill Bill when she's pulling out the baguette Uh and the trunk shot felt very like Scorsese and Goodfellas and then even Rich Wigga, Poor Wigga, like that, that was like your film noir. And then you have Trini to the Bone, which, you know, kudos, because again, felt like Guava Island in a lot of respects. And there were just so many, it felt like there were many influences, but not overdone, just these little pockets that I call kind of the connective tissue. Mm-hmm. And so you get to enjoy a memory from something else, but it's not overblown. And also we get to share experiences together while we're even still distanced or far apart. Like I get to have an experience where, you know, I feel like Earn is one of my friends because like I have a real life type of Earn situation and I can talk about that. But then we also, especially to leveraging music that gives me connective tissue and shared memories with people not only to my friends, but now to the show. Mm-hmm. So if if you guys have, and you could be like, that's crazy. We didn't replicate anything film noir. No, tell no, me. I mean, I think, I think especially with the writers, there was a very um, conscious decision to kind of stress test the limits of the show a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I feel like season two really kind of like dug into the characters and like looked at our characters and really was like... Um, in some ways, it was an advancement on season one, uh, whereas season three, I think the idea was like, let's kind of throw that out and let's like test the limits of the show, see how far we can push it, even to removing our own characters and see if it's still our show, see yeah. if it's still the story we want to tell and the voice we want to tell. Um, yeah, Hero, Hero used the word maximalist a lot when we were yeah. doing season three. This is, this is our maximalist, like everything is you know, as stretched to the limit as it can yeah. go both conceptually and, yeah. and, you know. Even in the the big payback, I was like, that is straight out of Get Out, y'all. <laughs> He's like running after the car. Uh-huh. Right, right, yeah. Um, well, and then with with the, the Wigga episode, was that like, I mean, where did that choice come from? Was it challenging at all? Come edit or color with the black and white? Yeah, I mean, the black and white wasn't challenging. I think that was actually fun to cut. I mean, it's, uh, I feel like we put that together. That was one that we were struggling with a little bit at first. Like, we were kind of having trouble tonally clicking into that. Like, I think for the first pass, I put a lot of, like, um, kind of nine-inch nails temp music. Like, really leaned into, like, the incel kind of storyline. And when Donald watched it, like, really the one note he gave was, like, it should feel like an episode of, like, the Hitchcock TV show. Like a, like a Twilight Zone kind of vibe. And I think that's when we like were all like, ah, that was the aha moment. Right. We, went through, we changed a lot of you, the music. Right. You would put in a bunch of noir type score. Yeah, and then it started to feel like, oh, okay, now this is starting to feel like a, like a first idea, you know, yeah. which is always the game. And yeah. and yeah, and then, and then it started, that sort of started to inform, I think, our cutting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's funny, both that and Terrer. I think the music really was a huge part yeah. of like, making it play. 
because uh, Torreira scored by Ludwig Goranson, who's, you know, Donald's longtime collaborator and stuff. And he he scored that one for us. And I think that that music in that episode does so much heavy lifting and, yeah. and really made it coalesce the same way Rich Wigger, like the music really like once once it's sort of the, the last spice to the soup, you know, that makes you go, oh, right, this is what this is. And then the old man in the tree. So I've heard a lot about that from production design, cinematography, and the fact that like, different places to try and suit different needs like Mm -hmm. the tree versus the the sham house and then the ultimate filming and there was so much movement in that episode how did you get us to follow the eye make it all feel like they were actually in one space i mean that was yeah that was a fun episode actually because it was just like there was so much happening in that episode you almost don't have a chance to like kind of catch your breath in it um Again, I think music and sound were just a big part of it. Like we were very conscious in giving each space its own feeling kind of. And, uh, you know, that was sometimes the heart of the party in the center of the room. We'd have a little more like loud crowd noise. The music is a little more present. Whenever they go off and they're kind of in like TJ's room in the back, you maybe hear the party, but it's like more like muffled through the walls and you're hearing like his music. Like all of that was about creating different like sense of senses of space a little bit and for us for like post it was just really music and sound that one's like wall-to-wall music yeah it's wall-to-wall music it's more but it's all diegetic like there's no score and like all the music is source and so it's like we were looking at the different parts of the party and like what music would they be listening to how can we kind of separate but keep everything unified to me that actually felt like the inverse to cancer attack because then Cancer Attack, they literally are at a concert venue, right. but it yeah. is silent. Right. Um, yeah. Also, tell me there's footage of Lakeith Stanfield just running around an empty building like he's actually on his ghost hunt somewhere. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, it wasn't something we exercised, no pun intended. It was, uh, yeah, that was always the idea. Yeah. yeah, that was always just sort of trolling the audience a little bit. Like, oh, we'll have this Darius adventure that just never happened. Because as soon as he goes, hey, we got to do this, yeah, right, and you think, oh, okay, it's going to be yeah. about him doing this, and that's just you know them setting up expectations and then just totally disappointing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Which is a really fun episode, right? Sure, of course. Yeah. Then you get this introspective, like, yeah, yeah. But you're right. And that one is the inverse because most of that episode takes place in one room, and it's very mm-hmm. late at night. There's nobody else around, so it's the exact opposite. It's like trying to make that space feel as oppressive as possible with, you know, room talk. Things as simple as that. Well, and also we never saw socks again, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Socks uh, just socks, socks just goes away. Yeah. <laughs> season one, we have a shot of white face. Season two is black face. Season three is like a lot of black face. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. I just like, I know you're saying that these are not necessarily always thought out, but like, oh my God, it's like leverage timing of like, okay. Yeah. it just it yeah again you know, this is the maximalist season right why why have right. one black face when you get yeah. a whole audience yeah, concert yeah <laughs> and that again with the sound just for it to be so quiet was really really well done um i think that for me without trying to dive into spoilers of season four um the only other thing i would ask if there are more easter eggs like that floorboard please tell me 
Oh, I don't know. What are some Easter? There's a uh, there's a sticker that we put in the title shot of uh, New Jazz. Oh, they found. I saw the, the people online found that. Yeah. yeah, we try to hide uh, stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a on the New Jazz. It starts in a coffee shop, uh, and there's a table that has a bunch of stickers, including one where we put the Atlanta title card. Uh, and there's another sticker we put on in post that says uh, R.I.P. Clark County, who was a character in the second season, who we, we noticed online people were uh, wondering when he was going to show up. Yeah. It's a slippery slope because the stuff is fun, but you also yeah. don't want it to dictate like total. We're very like we don't want to become the Easter egg show. No. Right. No. It's, yeah. it's fun to pepper these things in. But I always wonder. I wonder how how far is too far. Yeah, I mean, there's some... a few like I would say the most obvious is like uh, Rich Wigger doing the black audition. There's a few callbacks right. like the prices on the can. Yeah, uh, spelling well, is there is there a moment? And especially the the fact that you guys have gotten to touch all of the season so far, is there a moment that you've been especially proud of in bringing forward? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think every once in a while when we put stuff together and watch it down, there's a sense between us that like, oh, this one's really good. We just yeah. finished one in season four that I think we're both really proud of. Mm -hmm. And I think our just even our initial assembly was really good and we felt really great about it. Um, no, I don't know. I was I was really proud with all the bottle episodes. Yeah, this season because I think that was something new for us where we weren't sure how it was going to go. Not being able to rely on our cast, kind of, and mm -hmm. um, and really, especially those being the last assemblies we put together, having done a full season, like having those at the very end. I think there's a lot of question marks with those, and for me, they're some of the strongest <laughs> episodes. Yeah, me too. Some people really seem to dislike them. Yeah, yeah. but that's they're all. All about expectations, right? Right. I mean, look, you know, that's been that's been the interesting thing about yeah. seeing the reaction of the season is to really you see you see that there are different ways that people enjoy the show. Mm -hmm. You know, like some people seem they like the anthology episodes. Uh, they get referred to as like filler episodes yeah. a lot, and it's interesting to see people who just want plot and just want to see the characters that they relate to. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, it's it's interesting to see there's a real line of demarcation between mm -hmm. people that sort of are in it for the themes and people that are in it for the cast and yeah. that sort of thing. So it's been it's been very interesting to see people's reactions online to it. Well, my reaction has been to watch the season four full times already. So that's more than we have. <laughs> It, I mean, I, I kid you not, uh, it to me, and Kyle, you got to get back on camera. Oh, yeah, my bad. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> um, for me, at least, it has been, um, I, there is so much good TV out there right now. There really is. There's so much good TV, but this is really remarkable art. You guys have delivered something truly artistic, truly collaborative, every brushstroke, the choice of canvas, the choice of frame, so much of it really, really, really came through. And so thank you guys. And again, I, I know it's part of your job to deflect and sing out the praises of every other department, but truly I do understand how much you guys put into this, how much you help filter through and truly what you guys are helping to deliver to the screen. And it was really, truly artwork. So bravo. Well, thank you yeah, for saying that. We, we feel very, we're, we're very fortunate to be a part of it.
So thank you for saying that.